global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. The bidding on that lunch for Warren Buffett now up to $2.8 million. It will benefit the Glide Foundation out of San Francisco. Stocks are lower. S&P 500 index heading for the steepest drop in two months amid caution over tepid global growth and a series of looming events with the potential to spur renewed market turbulence. Right now, the S&P 500 index down 24 points to 2,091, a drop there of 1.1%. NASDAQ down 73, a drop of 1.5%. Dow Industrials down 160, a drop of 9 tenths of 1%. Gold up 590 the ounce to 12.78, a gain of 5 tenths of 1%. And crude down $1.50, 49.06 for a barrel of West Texas Intermediate, looking at a drop now of 3% on WTI. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Apple's not waiting for its Worldwide Developers Conference next week in San Francisco to shake up the market. Today we find out that Apple's next iPhone will use modem chips from Intel, replacing Qualcomm chips in some versions of the new handset. Apparently it's a move by the world's most valuable public company, yes, that's Apple, to diversify its supplier base. Here to talk about it, what it means for investors, for the industry, is Anand Srinivasan. He's Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Semiconductor and Hardware Analyst. Anand, were you surprised by this? No, this has been rumored for quite a while now, and the popular press has been talking about it for quite some time. Um, and the news has been intensifying, so people have known for a while that, that there's something here. Um, the simple strokes of it is, uh, is that it's good for Intel, and it's bad for Qualcomm. Um, but it, it, the Apple supply chain seems to be getting more complicated from a supplier base as well as the number of components and the number of suppliers that go into it. So um, it's interesting um, because Apple thus far has only had three specific types of the iPhone um, for each version. And now it's it's likely to get a little bit more complicated than that. Okay. For a layperson like me, are these chips that different? I mean, does it really make that much difference which one? Actually, they are. And the reason why Qualcomm has had the share historically that it has had is because these chips are enormously complex. Um, You have a number of different uh, bands or spectrums that you operate in, different telecom carriers all over the world, remember, operate on a different band, then you have different versions of each of these. So by the time you put it all together, you have to have every single flavor of every single carrier in every single region of the world. And as you move forward, suddenly it has to work with your Wi-Fi chip. Suddenly it has to work with your Bluetooth chip. So um, to answer the question, yes, it is enormously complicated. It takes an enormous amount of R&D, but the smartphone market is slowing. These developments have hit sort of a a little bit of a plateau coming off of the 3G to 4G transition. So now Apple and the other carriers are saying, okay, what can I get? What's the best price I can get for these chips? Well, and they're going to continue to put the Qualcomm chips in the phones in China. Absolutely. Um, so this is this is vendor management. This is um, exacting the best price for the best product possible. Do you expect anything from the Worldwide Developer 
conference next week when Apple gets everybody together. Thousands of people in the Bay Area. Tim Cook, of course, will be orchestrating events. Yeah, this is going to be more of uh, uh, from an operating system and an app standpoint, um, not as much drama on the hardware side as um, – as, as on the software side. How important is this for Intel? Is this a big win for them? This is a big win for Intel because they have historically been a laggard in the space um, and they got uh, booted out of the iPhone f- a long time ago when Infineon was in there. Um, so um, so it is it, it is a huge splash for them and it's a loss-making division for them, so hopefully this will help reduce the losses. Anand Vasan, thank you so very much for joining us. Senior Semiconductor and Hardware Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence here in New York City. You have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Well, speaking of big wins, uh, we are at the point now where we can talk pretty seriously about who's going to get the big win in November when it comes to winning the White House. We're very happy to welcome back, as we do often at this time, John Heilman. He is host of, with all due respect, on Bloomberg Television, one of the leading lights of Bloomberg politics, and you can catch it every day, weeknights on Bloomberg TV, Bloomberg 99.1, on the radio in Washington. So, John, I guess it's uh, the historic moment is here. Hillary is the front is is leading the Democratic pack. Trump reading leading the Republican pack. Uh, now what? Chaos, <laughs> madness. Um, right. So we and we have now presumptive nominees in both parties, and um, the general election is on today. Uh, you had Hillary Clinton giving a speech uh, at. Uh, Planned Parenthood, and you had uh, Donald Trump giving a speech to a religious freedom conference, um, kind of classic preview of what the fall campaign will look like, both of them uh, speaking to audiences uh, of the faithful, and uh, I mean that in both senses of the word, uh, members of the base, and using those speeches both to uh, build energy among their core constituencies and also attack each other. And um, they both went after each other pretty hard today, um, but not in a way that was, I mean, I, I, in a way that I think, you know, is suggestive of what we're likely to see over the course of the next um, X number of months. I don't really even know how many months it is between now and November. Maybe you know that. I'm horrible at like, these kind uh, okay. of Okay. Well, I, I would, is this in the category of with friends like this who needs enemies when uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell McConnell says Donald Trump needs to pick an experienced running mate because, quote, he doesn't know a lot about the issues and strongly urged him to change course on his rhetoric. Well, yeah. I mean, look, it's 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 now pretty evident that and it has been for a while, but it's really become dramatically evident in the wake of the controversies around uh, uh, Donald Trump's racist comments about Judge Curiel that. A lot of the Republican establishment that kind of tentatively came to embrace Trump over the course of the last month, month and a half, are very uncomfortable with um, with their standard bearer. And so you have both uh, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, a lot of folks um, treading very lightly, and they're, they 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 can't really defend what Trump said, and they say that over and over again. They haven't abandoned him yet. So from the standpoint of of Trump, it, it would be worse if Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan or others did what Senator Mark Kirk from Illinois did, which is to withdraw their endorsements from him entirely. But this is the way it's going to be, I think, throughout this election. I mean, if Trump continues to say things that are incendiary and potentially problematic for the Republican Party um, and its candidates down ballot, you're going to see Republican leaders doing this throughout, which is to say um, criticizing Trump, sometimes denouncing Trump, distancing themselves from Trump, but still maintaining at least some kind of superficial level of support. Well, you know... John Howman, you uh, 
you know, eight years ago, you did a lot of uh, reporting inside the camps, you know, for, for Hillary, for Barack Obama. You did produce the great books and all. Uh, so what, in this campaign so far, as you apply that kind of reporting skill and that kind of experience, what are you finding from the Trump camp? Are they getting ready to, to teach Donald Trump how to be, you know, big and loud and, and, you know, be not politically correct but not cross over a line? I think that the, the there are two fundamental truths that have become clear in the last uh, two or three weeks. The first is that there is no Trump campaign. And the second of it is, is that there's no changing Donald Trump. As you probably know from your own life, there are not that many men who or women who are 69, 70 years old who can be trained to be something different from what they are. So the notion – which was popular not that long ago, which is like Donald Trump will pivot to become a general election candidate. He will be more, quote, presidential. He will uh, moderate his tone. He will uh, somehow rein himself in. He will script himself more often. Um, that is something that may in sporadically work, but it won't work in a sustained way over time because it's just no, not who Trump is. It's not what not just as a presidential candidate, but as a public figure. I think that the second thing is that there, when I say there is no Trump campaign, I mean, there are a bunch of people around Trump, um, way fewer than there would be around any normal presidential candidate still because the campaign's having a hard time recruiting serious people to work there because of the fact that Trump is so difficult um, as a candidate to deal with, um, particularly people in the of a, of a younger stripe, which is to say like strategists in their 20s, 30s and 40s are staying away. But there are a bunch of people there trying to corral Donald Trump, but there is no kind of traditional campaign structure. And the people who would exert a lot of authority in a normal presidential campaign exert very little around Donald Trump. His fundraising apparatus doesn't really – is just starting to come into form. Like he's a year and a half behind in terms of building a fundraising uh, infrastructure. He has no real field uh, department. He has no data department. He has no rapid response. He doesn't have a communications director. He has, you know, Hope Hicks, who's been his press secretary and the person who deals with the press. She's a one-woman band still. You know, the campaign manager and chief strategist, um, the two main players there, Paul Manafort and Corey Lewandowski, um, are, you know, uh, have some influence over Trump, but nothing like what you would have seen in the Romney campaign, the Obama campaign, the Clinton campaign currently. So, you know, I think it's to describe it as chaos is, is a little bit probably not overstated exactly, but that's sort of what's going on is there's a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth. I want to get a quick final comment from you on yeah. uh, the president's, Barack Obama's uh videotape piece that was released in, in him supporting uh, Hillary Clinton. How, how would you grade that? Uh, well, I think the, the the videotape piece is fine for what it is. I, but you know, it was a well well done thing. I think the, what you what you really want to focus on is just the extraordinary degree of political difficulty that faced um, all of the parties involved coming out of the California and other primaries on on Tuesday, and they handled that that minuet that choreography was handled extraordinarily well with a huge amount of cooperation between the White House and Hillary Clinton's team in Brooklyn. Well, John Heilman, I often envy you your job. This is such a fascinating year for politics. And if you're fascinated with politics, you better watch with all due respect. Monday through Friday, weeknights at 5 p.m. on Bloomberg Television. You can listen on Bloomberg 99.1 in Washington. I'm Kathleen Hayes. This is Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio.